Welcome to Knock 'em Dead, a comedy podcast that deals with the one thing we all experience yet never talk about death. Episode 1 Near Death Experiences. Near death experiences, the great mulligans of life, those moments when life taps us on the shoulder and says it's taking its accrued days off, and you suddenly find yourself as a contestant on Survivor, the afterlife, heading towards a bright light while shedding your meat suit, meeting your dead grandma Pettigrew, who says you were a crap granddaughter, but it's not yet your time. Huh, she even hates me in heaven. And within these near-death encounters lies a treasure trove of information about the afterlife, the great beyond, the eternal slumbermeister, the great snoozer in the sky. It's like finding a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow made of adrenaline and questionable life choices. Whether it's having a head-on collision with a rogue city bus driven by a meth addict who loves punctuality, having a staring contest with the universe during a bungee jump gone wrong, or getting bacterial meningitis contracted at a Persian bodega with a D health rating and meat that smells like a urinal cake. These moments have universally shown that life can exit stage left at any second. And we're always standing at the edge of our mortality with a one-way ticket to the great mic drop in the sky. And if you knew there was something after this life, what would you do differently? I'm Rachel Bradley. With my co-host, Christopher Titus, this is Knock 'em Dead. Hi, guys. Welcome to the episode one of Knock 'em Dead podcast. I am Rachel Bradley. I am Christopher Titus. We are going to deal with death in a way that uh, people don't deal with it. I love the way that we did that. I'm Rachel Bradley, and I'm Christopher Titus. We're going to talk about death. <laughs> well, here's the thing about this. And, and when you came up with this idea to do this, I remember sometimes I come up with an idea and you look at me like I'm an idiot. Sometimes you come up and I look at you like you're an idiot. And you, you said this, and I was like, that's exactly it. Because the one thing we go, go through is death. All of us, no matter what. Yes. And we're all afraid of. Yeah. Right. Oh, I knew the answer. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm saying Don't, don't switch it up because so far I'm, I'm two so- for two. I'm giving you softballs. So uh, what we want to do is make it uh, have access, have give people access to a way that you're not afraid of it. And and this, this when you said this after, after we lost Grandma Jean, I think it's a perfect thing because being with Grandma Jean, I, I know, I, I don't know what you went through. I went through something the night she died sitting there with her that that I, 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 I watched her pass peacefully and I all of a sudden was okay with the, uh, mortality and, and death and, and she was surrounded by love and I thought, okay, if this is how it can be, then I'm not afraid anymore. And the way she reacted, even when she was she was she was gone. It's not that way for everyone. No. <laughs> uh, she was a really good human being in life yeah. and so her death was, I think all things considered a very uh, graceful, merciful death. Um, You played guitar for her as she was passing throughout that day. And one of the last things that she said to you, (laughs) (laughs) Grandma always gave compliments. Insultiments. (laughs) Insultingly, (laughs) where you were like, thank you. Hmm." Yeah, wait. (laughs) So she said. She said to me uh, a couple of times, a couple two or three times before uh, this happened, uh, she said, I was playing guitar for her one day. She goes, (laughs) I'm so upset. I'm still, (laughs) still, I laugh so hard. She goes, well, um, uh, 
That's a, that's all right. That you can play like that. Uh, that's uh, okay. You play like that's that. That's okay. You play like that. You don't have time to practice. <laughs> <laughs> you play like that because you don't have time to practice. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was so nice. But, so today, like as I said in the intro, we're going to talk about near death experiences. Every episode, every month, we're going to tackle different topics, um, really interesting stuff that I have found out about that we will be covering. You've experienced. That I had no idea about. With mom, the rally with mom. Yeah, a death rally, things that a lot of us don't know about. We're so unprepared for death because culturally we're taught to be afraid of it and not talk about it. And it's not funny and it's something that's taboo. And I disagree. Having watched it happen three times personally up close and being a part of that, I disagree. Um, So today we're talking about near-death experiences and we have an awesome guest coming on. But I had like a, I mean, I had like like that thing with the the dentist, what, you know, and you said funny last night, because we were doing a lot of research on this and you said, because I could tell you were skeptical about what I when I came home from the dentist, what had happened. I wasn't. And then you read, skeptical. you read some stuff. And you're like, I'm starting to think that you kind of went. I didn't go all day. I, I went. Far I wasn't enough. skeptical. So if you don't know, he did a comedy bit about it, but he had what would not be scientifically called a near death experience specifically, but obviously was very close because I read a lot of the characteristics last night, and you have them. What I'm skeptical about, and women can relate to this if you're married to a guy <laughs> not wow. if, not if you were wow. smart and married a woman wow. uh is that God, i hope that does not come back to haunt me <laughs> yeah exactly. she said it on the podcast is that i have more of a golden girls ideal she's in my mind um, <laughs> she's got on tivas the socks um she wears flannel all the time okay now that we've been horribly <laughs> so go ahead um was that you left that day and said, oh, I'm just going to run over to the dentist. Right. Do you need me to go? No, it's no big deal. And then you went and died or almost died and then came home still like it was no big deal. And then as you started talking about it more no, I and as you. your whole being changed. No, I called you from the dentist and I said, you're not going to be what happened to me. I got the end. I got, I go, here's, I always put it into show terms. I got the end of my new show. And you were like, that's what you And I go, said. I go, I know I, what my show is going to be about. And then I came home and told you, uh, people, it's the weirdest thing. Um, they over medicated me. I went out. Uh, I wasn't out. I was doing a dental surgery where I was supposed to be awake all the time. It was all local. Um, I was on the full mask and stuff, and he was pulled the molar out. Laughing gas? Laughing gas. Uh, and as he had in my nose, he didn't have the whole mask on because he had to work on my mouth. That would be dumb. Uh, and then I was he, wondering. he pulled the molar out again, which was this big. He pulled this out of my face. And then he started digging around on the hole and my ear started going like he was, I could like, and I go, Hey, Hey, I go, I go, why are you doing that? And he says, Oh, there's a nerve there. I'm probably hitting it. And I remember being, cause I'm still a comedian. I'm like, did you just say that to my face? <laughs> probably. No, you're definitely hitting it. So he goes, well, let me crank the gas up. So he cranks, he just, and, it, and, and I have a thing because my families were all alcoholics. I metabolize anesthesia very quickly. So he cranked the gas up. Next thing I know, I'm watching them from behind them. And then I floated to the ceiling and I was, next thing I know, I'm in outer space and I'm looking around and I had this weird, it's funny, I knew what had happened. I was like, oh shit, this is not, I didn't say this was good. I remember just being like, okay, I'm here now. And then I saw the universe end to end, huge craziness. Like I realized how tiny we are. Did you think about your wife? 
I didn't think of the dogs or anything. I was just thinking like- <laughs> I like that you said that first. I didn't think about my wife. I didn't even think about the dogs. I'm not uh, well, thinking about- Oh, let's talk about last night what you just said at the end of bed. <laughs> she, she, she goes, man, if I died, man, these dogs would miss me so much. And I'm like, yeah, the I dogs. I can't die because they need me. So I floated around and I saw the earth and the earth was in the distance this big. And I, and I had this weird, deep, deep realization that everything we worry about here doesn't matter. All the money, all the fame, all all the success uh doesn't matter the physical all, things all that matters is you know what you can be to other people here and it changed you it changed what how you you would you would you could yeah, recommend that. i mean you you vacillate sometimes oh to i'm not saying i still OT, have access to the OT, <laughs> old titus uh and nt new titus <laughs> i'm just saying that <laughs> ot I, is as 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 is common a much it, rougher place to be but it made me it, it did in 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 these and i don't think this was a complete indie because like, but but here's the freaky part the next thing i know i'm yanked out and i and the and I wake up to the doctor banging me against the table yeah. going, wake up, wake up. And he was like, I'm like, don't use this a is, thing. This don't feels like a Three Stooges it does, it does dentist. Hey, hey, I think he's having a that experience, Mo. <laughs> Do you know what's interesting is, and I, I've been thinking about this as it pertains to NDEs that I've read about and to your experience, is I have, the closest I came to death was flipping an SUV five times and it knocked me out. Broke I your collarbone. should have died. Yep. I, if I have a picture, I'll have to find that for this podcast of my SUV where the whole roof is flattened mm. except right over where I was. And it's a little tent. And my mom always said that an angel was holding up right. the metal above my head. Um, but I had a concussion for a very long time and I did, I did experience a life review where my life flashed While before my eyes. Yeah. And it's crazy because I can still remember that so clearly. And it happens. People say, well, how, how can you see your whole life that quickly? You do. Your brain is capable of so many things that we don't ever touch on here. Well, I, I and the thing I was going to say was though, that any type of brush with death. So I've had very peripheral brushes with death. I took care of my mom at throughout her passing. Uh, my grandfather, journey. my grandmother, mm -hmm. I was also a caregiver too. And that changed me. And it changed how I saw death, I mean. Yep. So some of the the side effects, all, all of the side effects of NDEs that you'll read about are positive people come back and they have this changed perspective and even brushing death like you said sitting with grandma and watching that happen you walked away and you said i'm not afraid of death anymore so even brushing death on this planet you have some of those side effects those right. positive side effects to it so our goal on the uh, on this uh podcast is to uh make it better for all of us including her and i um, and, and, uh, we have guests, we have, a, we, I, you know, I am so happy that you, uh, held off. Cause I was like, we got to get this done. And, and she had this idea and I was like, and I'm, I'm, I'm OT sometimes. I'm You're, old, old you are OT. OT is filled with violence, <laughs> just like the other OT, a lot of death, a lot not. of pestilence, <laughs> new tea, Jesus has come. It's a softer, warmer place to I'm be. I'm a walking movie um, seven. But I want to talk about near death experiences. And so like, as, so there are studies done that estimate about 9 million people have reported 
NDEs. And there are characteristics of them. Um, People typically have a flat EEG, no gag reflex, fixed and dilated pupils, which as you know, happens when someone's transitioning. Um, And every single reported NDE has some or all of these 10 characteristics. Some of these you took from your odd Jerry Lewis right. dental visit. <laughs> um, out of body experience. I believe I'm dying now. Oh, oh doctor, wait, well, I, uh, I believe I, that. I, I am in space right now. Out of body experience. So some people report seeing the the people trying to resuscitate them. Um, accurate vis- visual perception and hearing, auditory perception from outside the body, feelings of peace and painlessness, a sense of removal from the world, very, very common. One of the more common ones, and our guest today is going to talk about that, light phenomena, encountering some sort of loving white light. Did you have that? No, I was in space. I was in, I was in, uh, I saw all the stars and the earth. This white light, often people have reported that it communicates telepathically, like we were saying, uh, like we do when we're fighting. You, I look at you, you know I want to kill you. You look back at me, I know you love me and would never want to kill me. Right, exactly. Life review, life flashing before your eyes, which I just said, uh, feeling of having entered another world. Is that what you would say? Yep, 100%. Yeah. Interesting. But also really aware, I, I didn't enter another world. I entered a much bigger universe where everything was like, and I think our, I think our, um, in some of his books, our guests has talked about this, where it's bigger than, Yes. It, 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 the weird thing is that it's bigger than you, uh, and, and for this guy to be a scientist is is, uh, is such a different, such a different. Vibe. Well, that's what it's talking about. Uh, that common thread being of light, being of white light, is to people that report that during their NDE to them is God, a God presence. Um, also encountering other lower beings of light or reuniting with dead family members or family members. Some of my family members definitely lower <laughs> beams of light. <laughs> it's a brown light. <laughs> We're going to get to your family members because I read, I never knew this, that people do have negative NDEs. Mm. And our guest today does not talk about that in his book. Mm. But uh, there are also, because you would think, well, wouldn't some people, like the ones we mentioned without naming earlier, when they go to the end, wouldn't they possibly see fire? And yes, that does happen. Uh, And then the other thing is a tunnel experience or entering a darkness, a sense of moving up. Some people said it was like a staircase or a tunnel or a passageway. You definitely went up. Yeah, because you looked back on the planet. Which, which, if you look at it, you know maybe that you know the, the mythology of of quote heaven looking up going up. If if throughout history this goes all the way back to Plato, uh, NDEs uh, he had one. If you go back and everybody reports the same thing, I guess it would just be up. I mean, I read some stuff about our guest, and he was saying that he went to a a, a weird brown place. When yeah. he started, but yeah. but then, so then he, he saw the white light it, yeah. and it lifted him out, which hopefully he'll talk about. Um, there's a lot of doctors that have studied NDEs and there's four leading ones that will link underneath this. But it's interesting to go and read some of the things that have happened. One doctor did, um, his name was Dr. Pim Van Lommel, and he did a study of blind people who had experienced NDEs and they... Uh, 
one out of five experienced an NDE with some, some of those same characteristics and they saw, they had vision. They, they all reported they that saw. they had sight during their NDEs. People that were born blind, he studied. And I um, think we can say about this podcast, we don't know. We just know there's something else than what we know. Well, that's why I first started reading about these and I read Proof of Heaven. Our guest today wrote that book because I lost my mom and you want to put some tangibility to something that you don't fully understand Tether and you can't explain. And so it's fascinating to me if you are searching that we have people who went and then kind of came back, <laughs> uh, they put their toe in, yeah, kind of exactly. did, and then came back out. Went for a visit, went, visit yeah, came yeah. back, yeah. How was um, vacation? How was, it's like a, it's like a <laughs> VRBO. <laughs> Death, <laughs> VRBO. VRBO. I'm only here for one I, night. Listen, yeah. I'm not having a party. <laughs> <laughs> Although some people do have parties. Those are allowed in death VRBOs. Um, everyone, so all NDEs have these characteristics that it's freedom from physical limitations. Mm -hmm. Love, love keeps coming up. It becomes a thing. Our guest today talks about that throughout his book and um, transcendence. Those are the three things that are, that everyone experiences. I'm excited. Who's our guest? So, but I, I want to get, really quickly to these negative NDEs oh, really negatives. quick because you brought up your family no. I wanted right. to talk about. All right, um, negative NDEs. So those are the positive NDEs. Um, negative near-death experiences that have been reported. People have reported sensations of anguish, distress, avoid, devastation, and vast emptiness. People often have reported seeing hellish places, what they would describe as a hellish place and things like their own idea of yeah, what the devil them, yeah. is like, because we're all going to be locked in our own hell if that's where we go. Right. You know, mine will be that. filled with cheap shoes oh, and my gosh. bad no cologne. You'll, make, you'll have no makeup. <laughs> but I'll have to get up and speak in front of people <laughs> yeah, exactly. with no makeup. <laughs> your hair, you will have a nut, you no brush. <laughs> No brush and no and, and no uh, Dyson uh, air wrap. No Peloton. No Peloton. What? Oh my god! Um, they said, "Here's one direct quote: When I reached the bottom, it resembled the entrance to a cave with what looked like webs hanging. I heard crying, wails, moans, and gnashing of teeth. I saw these beings that resembled humans with the shape of a head and a body, but they were ugly and grotesque. They were frightening and sounded like they were tormented or in agony." Well, let's don't talk ah. about the, let's not talk about the negative. <laughs> let's not talk about. I'm just saying, maybe you should read about those other ones. I'm fine. <laughs> I, I've changed my mind. Actually, I, I have spent my life writing comedy to make people better. And since my little whatever experience I had, where I went to, I have changed my. It's funny. I have so much more gratitude now. Gratitude for you. Gratitude for our life. Gratitude for career. Gratitude for the people. I mean, there's uh, it changed. My, my, I still want to be successful. I still have this, but it, it's not the be all end all anymore. I still want it. It's not what it's for. It's not what it's for. Right. And, and if it is, the only success should come out of doing something that makes a difference. That's what I, that's what I kind of think now. I kind of think like, cause I've always kind of done that with my comedy. I've always written it to make it. You're kind of like comedy Gandhi. Okay. Oh, come on. <laughs> yes, I, I prefer comedy. I'm okay, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you? Oh, okay guys. We're going to go over to our guest today who I am so super excited about. 
super um, excited. We held off doing our first episode because he was going to do it. This is somebody uh, whose books I have read, who I have studied, look up to for, for many years, especially after I lost my mom. Um, and here's something funny. I thought today, I have always called you Dr. Eben Alexander, and it occurred to me today, I could be mispronouncing your name. No, you're doing a great job. Thank, it's Eben Alexander. Thank goodness. So, His first name is Eben, E-B-E-N. For the last week, I called you Eben. So sorry. He, <laughs> <laughs> she finally yelled well, at me I last could, night. I told you, E-B-E-N. <laughs> oh, Eben. I'm sorry. sorry. Uh, there's Apologies. So, so many things that we could say about this guest, uh, many of which make me feel like an underachiever. Um, I, he was a neurosurgeon. He was an associate professor at Harvard Medis Medicine School. Uh, he was once committed to a specific worldview and then something very specific happened to him that changed his entire outlook on life. Uh, Dr. Alexander, stereotactic radio surgery operations. I have to even look back at how to say that. What is that? Well, stereotactic radiosurgery, my whole interest in neurosurgery was trying to do things that maximize the benefit of an intervention, but minimize the trauma to the patient. Amen. And so that involved things like radiosurgery, which basically enables you to do high dose radiation to define targets in the brain without ever opening the brain up. You can treat vascular malformations, a lot of tumors, things like that. Uh, so it was really a revolutionary technology that's changed medicine. Uh, I was also into intraoperative MRI. I helped develop one of the world's yes. first systems for that. And that's another way of minimizing trauma to the patient and maximizing benefit. So that, that was my, you know, I love neurosurgery because of all that innovative potential that was there. And, I, and being at Harvard was like, I was like a kid in a candy store. You know, so <laughs> many Harvard. bright young people to work with. <laughs> I had fun. And it was developing things to help make uh, patients' lives better. And if you know about neurosurgery, malignant brain tumors, aneurysms, you know, strokes, things like that, people can get very sick with the stuff that we try to treat. So I was glad to contribute to making it easier on our patients. What's amazing is you're not just a doctor that took the classes and were like, okay, I'm going to do it how they tell me to do it. You're like, no, 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 let's try something different where we don't have to go invasive. And just to clarify, Ray, he's still a neurosurgeon. He's not, he's OG, he's gangster. He's, <laughs> he's he, and he came up with new technologies. You he's didn't used not, to be. not practicing anymore. He doesn't need practice. He's good. He's, uh, he's done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he mastered that. He's moved on. <laughs> Uh, right, I've moved on from that. But uh, yeah, I, I love neurosurgery. I'm not clinically active now, uh, but that doesn't mean that my neurosurgical knowledge hadn't been incredibly important uh, at interpreting my near-death experience and coming to a deeper understanding of the nature of reality, consciousness, brain and mind. All of that was uh, greatly uh, enhanced by my experience. I read also that you were interested in becoming an astronaut that you did you had actually applied to NASA these were his options for college by the way you and I we there weren't there weren't many options being a comedian is not about making good choices and yet here we are I have plan A well, and no plan other <laughs> well the business with NASA it turned out I had met Rhea Seddon when I was a resident in neurosurgery at Duke Rhea Seddon was a mission specialist in the in uh, the uh, shuttle program and she convinced me to apply because in the mid 80s, they were seeking new astronauts. They wanted 35 new mission specialists. 
And so I applied and uh, all that was moving along and I was getting ready to uh, move away from my neurosurgical training and get totally into the astronaut corps. When my father, who my adoptive father, who's very important in my life, he was a neurosurgeon and he convinced me to put off the plan for going into space until after I finished my neurosurgical residency. So I decided to do that. But when I did, then the Challenger disaster happened one year before I finished my residency. So when I finished, they were still in the middle of a two and a half year hiatus, not flying the space shuttle. Uh, and so I just decided to go into neurosurgical practice. So also, you can't really parachute out of the space shuttle either. So, so you, want, you had to go like, yeah, I'm going to stay here. I'm good. <laughs> well, there are interesting uh, systems for evacuating out of orbit that do involve parachutes as an instance. Really? But yes, but the, the you know I've seen plans for it, but luckily we've never had to use any of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, luckily, luckily, luckily. So let's talk about this change in career path in 2008. Uh, do you want to explain? Well, and one thing I just want to say is that the reason Ray set you up with what your past was because there's a there's an extra level of reality because of your past sets up what happened um being a scientist being knowing science and, and believing 100 in science and then having what happened to you happen um gives you a credibility that's unlike anybody else's so we, so tell us what happened to you well it, it is an advantage having one foot in both worlds in the spiritual yeah. and the scientific because i'm still very much a scientist and i know that science is the pathway to truth but I also realized that the simple little Newtonian deterministic version of science that is peddled in modern culture uh, that is not quantum informed uh, is something we should have let go of, uh, you know, 100 years ago. Right. Uh, materialism, uh, physicalism, you know, the notion that only the physical world exists, those are outmoded, uh, you know, kind of positions that the scientific world is rejecting because of the modern uh, science of consciousness. So kind of, that's kind of a brief answer to tell you I'm still very much a scientist, but yeah. I realize science is much bigger than that uh, primitive and bleak and paltry fiction of materialism or physicalism that pretends that only the physical world exists. You need more to explain consciousness. Uh, and so I had spent my life honing that scientific worldview, 54 years, uh, and kind of fully believed all of that. Uh, you know, the materialist position of brain creates consciousness, our life is birth to death, nothing more. Uh, I bought into that until I had my near-death experience. And that's what totally uh, awakened me. And I, I can tell you that uh, some of my biggest allies in, in, in this whole mission have been the scientists. You know, people often think, oh, Alexander flipped out, you know, and he's kind of <laughs> left the scientific community. Couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. Uh, if you go to, for example, scientificandmedical.net, uh, galileocommission.org, you'll find websites of groups that I work with. I'm on the advisory board uh, for all the scientists who are well on the way to demonstrating the primacy of consciousness in the universe and that our brain is really just a filter uh, that allows this primordial mind that we all share to manifest. And that has tremendous implications for what happens when the brain and body die. Uh, because in fact, if the brain is not the creator of consciousness, but only a filter that allows consciousness to express, then it becomes clear why all these near-death experience stories, which basically yeah. say that when you die, your uh, 
phenomenal awareness uh, and experience expands. It doesn't darken and dim to nothing, which is what material is trying to tell you. But you're, as you're liberated from the shackles of the prison of the brain and body, of consciousness expands tremendously. And that's when we reunite with higher soul, the souls of departed loved ones, uh, all of that. So would you there's call, a huge. Sorry, would you call sorry? that consciousness a soul? Absolutely. Okay. I think what we're basically saying here is from a scientific perspective, we're demonstrating the reality of the concept of soul. And in fact, one of the biggest reasons that physicists have struggled for more than a century with quantum physics is because they haven't realized that the answer ultimately involves uh, the reality of one mind and the brain working as a filter, reducing valve or transceiver that allows any currents of the one mind, the God mind, if you will, uh, to come into existence in each of every one of us individually. Now, of course, we think our little consciousness is just our own. But when you do the research, you'll find scientifically that you can validate things like telepathy. For example, in Guillaume Playfair's book on twin telepathy, he states that 35% of identical twins have very powerful um, telepathic experiences. And that's pretty much borne out through the twin community. Uh, you know, people don't talk about it a whole lot, but it's a reality. Uh, and of course, telepathy is not limited just to uh, twins. Uh, for example, when I went into coma, I, I had met my uh, birth family by my birth mother a year earlier, uh, went into coma in November 2008, and I'd been in touch with them uh, a bunch in the early months, but not for about three or four months now. But that day I went to coma in November 10, 2008, my birth mother came back from a business meeting and said, I've got a call. He's, something's wrong. And she knew that I was in deep trouble. And she called the family and found out I was in coma, had gotten there that morning, was in an ICU on a ventilator with only a 10% chance of, uh, of living expected. Uh, so very dire circumstance, but my birth mother knew that. So we all have connections like that with loved ones, uh, you know, twins where you, you have nervous systems and everything that have been set up because of your so, so Dr. shared uh, DNA when, so that you have uh, You're going, you're going through so much great stuff. I just want to actually, I want to go. So, so here's my question about science relating to this. Quantum physics, there's a point with science. Science, science, science is not faith-based. It's never been faith-based. It's always fact-based. So there's, it seems like now with the quantum, with quantum science, quantum physics, you're starting to cross over to you have to, because it's stuff you can't see, you know, and stuff you can't deal with. The telepathy thing. My grandfather was in the military and my, my dad had five kids. And uh, every time a kid got hurt, he went AWOL in the middle of the night and he didn't, and he just showed up. What's wrong? And he knew something was wrong and no, and that was when they didn't have cell phones. And my know, mom people, did right. the same thing yeah, with my, us. Mom, my mom always would call me in the middle of some horror nightmare and say, what's going exactly. on? I can't sleep. So let's explain because. So is faith, I so that, is faith in science connected? Is now science starting to walk into faith a little bit? Before we do that, I want to go back because some people don't know what happened. Right, yeah, so we want to explain what happened. In 2008, you can find out by reading his first book, which was uh, on the bestseller list for over a year. Um, you can find out by reading the book that I first read called Proof of Heaven. A There's another part to it, a neurosurgeon's journey into the afterlife. So in 2008, Dr. Alexander got bacterial meningitis. I'm completely curious, were you eating bad food at the local Indian bodega? How did you get bacterial men meningitis and what happened? Well, uh, first of all, Chris, to your question about science and faith, 
uh, because this is very important. Um, science, uh, you know, science is our way of getting at truth, and the scientific method is very valuable. Uh, it has to do with measuring things. And when we, you were talking a minute ago about quantum physics and you said we can't see it, well, it is about things we can measure, uh, you know, positions of electrons, polarization states of photons, things like that. A lot of things that can be measured. And that's what makes science so powerful is we can measure things and, and really compare and, and come up with hypotheses and things that make sense. Um, but uh, what we're finding is when you get down and get into the very deep structure of all the stuff around us, you know, my chair, you know, look at that and, and dive deep and examine that material. You go way down to the atoms and subatomic particles. That's where you find the mystery. As Niels Bohr said, he was one of the founding fathers of, of quantum physics. And he said that our world of reality of real things is made up of things that are absolutely unreal. And what he meant by that is subatomic particles do not behave like billiard balls. And for example, the Nobel Prize in Physics was given in 2022 for entanglement. Entanglement is an admission by the Nobel Committee that our old notions of space and time and everything fitting together in a four-dimensional space-time universe is not the ultimate reality, that wow. you have to dig deeper, wow. that things are connected at a much deeper level. And I will postulate that that level, the entanglement, is due to the fact that the mental layer of the universe, that is this, this uh, notion of our consciousness interconnecting us, is a fundamental property of the universe. It didn't come with humans. We borrowed it from the universe itself. And so that's where the science is very important. But it's not about materialism or physicalism, because what you find, for example, uh, if you want to uh, look at uh, uh, people's brains under the influence of psilocybin, magic mushrooms, or LSD, DMT, other things like that, uh, we can go into that later if you want. Uh, but what you find is those extraordinary phenomenal experiences that happen on those substances occur with the brain going dark. The brain's getting out of the way. So if you were trying to depend on neuroscience and measurements in the brain to explain the phenomena of something like psilocybin experiences, you're going to be disappointed. I did some of those scientific studies in college. I actually did several uh, scientific studies there, on that. If you're out with your during, friends in a miniskirt at a college, club, that's not a scientific study. My I, brain goes dark. That's why I got my, my, my career. Went dark. Most of the time. That was, that's correct. Okay, let's go. Okay, move on. Um, but in other words, you can't look at the workings of the brain and then explain it all yeah. because right. the brain is just getting out of the way yeah. to allow the phenomenon to happen. And the phenomenon involves bigger aspects of the universe than just the physical realm. That's the main point. So now I can get to your question and kind of get back to what happened to me back in November 2008. Uh, so, you know, I held that scientific worldview right up till the night before my coma. <laughs> but on November 10th, 2008, I woke up with a severe back pain, horrific headache. You know, anybody in medicine who hears about sudden onset of headache and back pain would think of meningitis. But my brain was already being overrun by an extremely aggressive, uh, deadly, and absolutely should have killed me bacterial meningoencephalitis. And um, it drove me into coma within about three hours. Wow. And that 
set of facts uh, uh, informed by ER physician, Dr. Laura Potter, when I came in, you know, 54-year-old white male, status epilepticus, in extremist, trying to die on her watch. Oh. She didn't even know who I was, even though she, she was a friend of mine. But she came in the room. I looked horrific, you know, seizing, uh, just uh, in terrible shape. And she knew I was in deep trouble. Did a lumbar puncture, out came thick white pus under pressure. Oh, uh, no. She told me months later when she saw that, she knew I, uh, and knowing I'd gone into a coma within three hours of symptom onset, she knew I was uh, in deep trouble and probably only had a 10% chance of survival. They put me on a ventilator on three powerful intravenous antibiotics. And during those seven days that I was in coma, things just got worse. And there was really no sign of neurologic improvement. Uh, and so on day seven, they ended up... Um, so, uh, holding a family meeting, saying I'd gone from 10% to 2% chance of survival, but with no chance of recovery. And that's when they were recommending stopping antibiotics, letting nature take its course. But also, there is a medical case report that was written by three doctors who were not involved in my care, but absolutely fascinated by this miraculous recovery. And they went through my medical records in great detail, wrote up that case report in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases. It came out in September 2018. That's why Dr. Serbi Khanna, Lauren Moore, and Bruce Grayson. And in that case report, they make two major points. One is the neurologic uh, uh, exams, you know, my Glasgow coma scale uh, of six or seven, probably as low as five. And just for comparison, you or me right now would have a Glasgow coma scale of 15. A corpse gets a three. Anything <laughs> below nine is deep coma. Well, I was there at six, seven, probably five that entire week. Wow. Uh, and um, that that's a very bad way to be in terms of damage to my brain. And especially given CT and MRI scans that showed full thickness damage to the neocortex in all lobes of my brain, there's really no place left for any dream or hallucination to even happen. Right. So one of their main points is my brain could not have had a dream or hallucination, much less this most profound experience. Uh, and, you know, that is a, a, a kind of a scientific conclusion from the data. Now, the other important point they made, and this was in ch by challenge of the peer review editors of the journal, who said, wait a minute, this case is absurd. You know, there's no precedent for somebody this sick with bacterial meningoencephalitis who then makes a full recovery. How do you explain it? And the three doctors who wrote the case report said it's because he had a near-death experience. That is what allowed for this miraculous healing. And that's when the scientific peer reviewer said, okay, that explains it to us. And they published it. It's interesting because I took care of my mother and we're, we're going to talk about the death rally and things like that on later episodes. I took care of my mother and then my grandmother and saw as they transitioned, I've seen how that happens when it's not a sudden thing like what you had, but it's actually they have been diagnosed and they're transitioning and there are actual stages. I sat with my grandmother in March, sat next to her. She was not very responsive anymore. Suddenly sit up, smile with a full smile at the back door as she saw someone open it, said, hey, and just so happy. And I said, who is it, grandma? And she said, it's Bobby, her husband of 55 years who had passed oh. 12 years before. He's come to take me home. 
And she was so at peace and so happy. And I watched her engage with him as though he were standing in the room. So it's so many things that we can't explain, you know, through strict science. It has a name, though. It's called terminal lucidity. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's quite common. Uh, it's, It's an amazing phenomenon. And when you've seen terminal lucidity, exactly what you're describing, and, and it often it can happen in people who might have been comatose for months or yes, even years, yeah. and at the very end, in the last few hours or day or two before they die, they come back to life, yes. alive and well. And in fact, I have one little terminal lucidity story in, in the book Proof of Heaven uh, that you might yes. remember, and it was it happened to a good friend of mine. It just so happens he was the head of one of the top neurosurgical training programs on Earth, a very hardcore skeptical neuroscientist, and he was with his own father uh, going through that transition, and his father came back to life after weeks of being yeah. you know unresponsive. The father just woke up, and it was because his own mother, that would be the grandmother of my friend, her spirit was at the foot of the bed. Yes. Now, my friend did not see her, but he was absolutely convinced that his father was seeing her, was interacting with her. It turns out the father had been with her as a, he was a teenager in a concentration camp wow. during World War II in the Holocaust when the mother died. Uh, and, and the father never talked about the experience, never talked about her. But now on his deathbed, when he wakes back up in terminal lucidity, he's welcoming her, to, yeah. telling the son, look, she's here, she's here. And he dies with a smile mm-hmm. on his face. Because yes. that's real. Before my coma, I would have said, oh, yeah, they're hallucinating, you know, with all that right. great assurance. Well, I would have been dead wrong because it's not a hallucination at all. It's simply awakening to the fact that these spiritual experiences are absolutely real and they demonstrate that our loving connections do not end with death of the physical body. So terminal lucidity, that that would be when somebody is like. When, okay, so when you, you're, you're, you're dying and you've been in bed and then like the day before you die, everybody thinks you're back because you're like, I'm going to Pilates. <laughs> right. I'm up. <laughs> I am not going to Pilates <laughs> during my terminal lucidity. I feel like I would either really disappoint my family by getting up and mopping the kitchen. Yeah, you, you're OCD. You have <laughs> terminal OCD where at the end of your life, you just get yeah. up and start fixing things. <laughs> or I would plan ahead and maybe rob a Christian Louboutin store or something <laughs> like that. Like, I don't know. You would... You, so that's, that's you. So you guys, oh, she's dying. She's been in bed. I get up that morning and she, you're walking around in Louboutins and high heels. Is she heels. mopping the floor? <laughs> in Louboutins? <laughs> What's going on? All, all together. All your, all your love things. Um, so that's pretty... That's What would you do? Terminal lucidity. I would probably uh, you'd just find me sitting out in, in one of the hot rods. Just I'm going to room, room. Just I'm, go, I'm going for a drive. That's what happened. I'd probably get it. I was going to say well, you don't have to say room, room. You can actually drive it. Yeah, but I, it, it when with grandma when it was when grandma did it. Uh, it was that morning, I think, right? Because she ate. It was a few days before. Yeah, there was that, another one a few days. Before. I experienced it with my mom and my grandmother. Right. So it's crucial to kind of get the importance of the scientific revelation about revolution about all this, that we're eternal of uh, spiritual beings and we're bound together through the forces of love and kindness, compassion, mercy, acceptance. Those are what you learn from the NDE community about life reviews, you know, that happen in 25 to 50% of NDEs, but the life review uh, is kind of like the golden rule being written into the fabric of the universe. Treat others as you would like to be treated. The reason I can say that is one of the most prominent features of a life review 
is that you feel like you're experiencing it through the emotions of others around you who uh, were witness to your thoughts and actions. So in other words, your life review is not your perception of it, but how your actions affected other people. It's a beautiful example of how we're sharing the dream of the one mind. And this is how all of consciousness and humanity is evolving. But that evolution must involve a rejection of the false sense of separation that is so inherent in materialist or physicalist thought, which dominates our modern world. And yet science is leaving physicalism and materialism in the dust because they are not true. According to quantum-informed science of consciousness, there's a much richer reality that acknowledges the primacy of consciousness, that God force that so many NDEers encounter. So, uh, you know, 90% of people who've had NDEs over the last few thousand years, 90% of them come back believing in some loving force of unity, a God force at the core of the universe. Now, it may differ from some religious uh, presentations, but ultimately, NDEs agree that that force is all about love, connection, kindness, compassion, and mercy. Dr. Alexander. So. Uh, I, Why don't we take that lesson seriously? That's yeah. what I wanted to say is like, so your detractors, your people that have said whatever they've said about this experience you had, it's so Ray and I did a lot of research on it. And I was reading last night and they're trying to explain the NDE with brain activity and gamma, uh, gamma energy. And, and I was reading it and I, and I turned to Ray and I go, well, if it's still electrical impulses, but his, his brain was dead, then they've just disproven the theory in the first place the funniest thing to me about that is because we did a deep dive and we are comedians we have comedy specials available we have another podcast um and people talk smack all the time on the internet it's part of life now and i saw that you had some of that as well and it made me laugh because you are here saying hey everybody this is not for nothing (laughs) there's a deeper meaning there's a it's not over there's a deeper purpose and it's love and and you know peace and everybody's like screw you and he's not he's not selling he's not selling a t-shirt he's not like he's like get the merch he's like he's like he's like no 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 yeah yeah, don't buy stuff Love each other and and be like, yeah, you more. Yeah, it's crazy where it now we really want to hear what happened to you. We want to hear your experience because people, you know, the one thing we want to do with this podcast, and this was Ray's idea, that we want to make sure that people facing death, dealing with death, go in. It's the one thing that happens to all of us. It's the one thing that scares all of us. And it's the one thing that we want to give people some sort of access to. So as they're approaching it uh, and me too and all of us. Uh, that it gives them some sort of ease with it. What an awesome idea, though. There, There is more. People live life thinking, is this all there is all the time? So tell us what happened to you. Okay. Well, it started uh, 4.30 in the morning with that severe back pain, headache, going into coma, as I described a little while ago. Um, important to point out that uh, an atypical feature of my near-death experience is that I was amnesic. I had no memories of Eben Alexander's life. I had no knowledge of earth, of humanity. Uh, Every bit of that was gone. All my language was gone. It was really an empty slate. And in retrospect, I realized how important that was for me to learn some of the deepest lessons because I would have I would have rejected this if it had been too simplistic and too much according to form. Uh, So I really needed a big bang on the head. And that's what I got by going very deep. (laughs) Uh, in this uh, in this coma. Now, it um, 
I, I need to remind you that, as I said, the case report made it very clear that that brain could not have had any kind of dream or hallucination. Right. So everything I'm going to describe to you now happened in complete violation of modern neuroscience's views of how the brain and consciousness work together. Right. That was one of the things that, that forced me to write Proof of Heaven. Once I realized what all my experience taught me about the nature of reality and the brain-mind relationship. Now, in that setting of amnesia, it all started in what I call the earthworm's eye view, primitive course, unresponsive realm, like being in dirty jello. I had no body awareness during any part of this journey. And, but I was a speck of awareness and I could kind of record what happened to me. Uh, and in that earthworm's eye view, it was very foreboding, kind of pounding monotonous sounds and odd smells and, and really, uh, you know, not very attractive uh, world to be in, but I didn't have any memory of anything else. So to me, hmm, fine, this is the way it is. And I simply accepted it. Wow. So it was like, so it was dark and a, a weird noise and clangy. So it was like, Basically, you, landfill? It was like a, like a landfill at night is where heaven also, is. That heaven? Are you sure this was heaven? <laughs> <laughs> now, luckily, I was rescued by a slowly spinning white light that came packaged with a perfect musical melody. And that white light opened like a rip in the fabric of that ugly earthworm eye view realm and led me up into this brilliant, ultra real gateway valley. It was a, a, like Plato's world of ideals for the individual soul. Absolutely beautiful beyond description. Uh, many Earth-like features. I was a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing. There were millions of other butterflies looping and spiraling in vast formations, colors beyond the rainbow. Uh, and I remember thousands of beings dancing in this meadow down below. And the meadow itself was absolutely beautiful. Flowers, blossoms on trees, buds, everything just opening, blossoming, rich, fertile. Uh, plant life and all of the joy and merriment down below. People were dancing. Uh, children playing, dogs jumping. I mean, I can't Dancing, describe. Dancing, running, and there's dogs? High five on oh, dogs. Oh, man, people have been saying that. There is no rainbow bridge. They come with you. By God, right. dogs are there. <laughs> I'm in. The words don't really do justice to this magnificent, beautiful, and festive world that I was witnessing from this butterfly wing. What do you feel? Um, what did you feel? I remember feel? a soft summer. What did you feel? Summer break. Do you remember? So, sorry. Do you remember? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but do you remember uh, what you were present to in that moment? What you, I mean, you're talking about everything else. But what was what were you present to as you were watching? I was simply observing. Okay. I was simply witnessing all this stuff going on around me. Um, and at this time, and, there was no thought that my body has died or I'm down there in a hospital room. No, that was one of the things about the amnesia. I had absolutely no yeah. memory of living living as Evan Alexander. Wow. It's, it's wow. atypical. It's unusual for an NDE. But again, yeah. it was an absolutely necessary step for my NDE for me to come down believing it. Right. I had to be that far removed from things. And a, a kind of the normally pattern NDE with full memory would not have worked. And of course, when I first woke up in the weeks after coma, I thought, well, I guess that loss of memory, but, and when I, and my memories took about two months to return after I woke up. Wow. So I was still early in the process of memory recovery. Uh, and it made sense to me that I would have such a loss of memory given all the damage my doctors told me had happened to my neocortex. But the thing I didn't yet realize was how all those memories were going to come back which they did over about two months, even to a point of being more complete than they had been before coma. I explain a lot of that in Living in a Mindful Universe, but it's where we, in that book, discuss the scientific evidence that memories are not even stored in the brain. So- Wait, wait, 
so memories memories aren't stored in the brain uh that seems odd isn't that the computer so uh i guess i have a, a cd uh, like a like a like a, a terabyte in in my in my in my butt <laughs> i was gonna say mine has definitely been stored in my butt that's that would account for the extra mass also when you show up though i guess memories about you are, oh, must no. be stored in my crotch <laughs> no no it's sorry doc go ahead <laughs> this is fascinating we want to continue the story and sorry we're interrupting sometimes we just we're, we're so fascinated by the book and we were so fascinated by what you've gone through and and the connection that we just and not not meaning to interrupt you but boy are you smart boy do you keep going so what so so how so how was the rest of the journey go ahead and so anyway the soft summer breeze was my first knowing of that uh, force of the divine, of that love force, of God force. It was all through that through that realm. Excuse me. And uh, so at any rate, that was um, that soft summer breeze. I called it in my writings, the breath of God or divine wind. And that was, uh, it changed everything about my perception of the scene, even though the elements of the scene stayed the same. But that awareness of the God force and the unity throughout it all was a striking kind of emotional truth that came into me at that phase. Now, also important to note is I was not alone on the butterfly wing. There was a beautiful young woman. Doesn't get better than that. Sparkling blue <laughs> eyes, high forehead, high cheekbones, a broad smile. She was dressed in the same simple but colorful garb as all those beings dancing down below. And she was very important to me. She was my basically my guardian angel or my spiritual guide. And her message to me was delivered telepathically. She never said a word. She was looking at me with this smile of pure love. And her message came into my mental awareness. You are deeply loved and cherished forever. You have nothing to fear. You are deeply cared for. And the other part of the message, as I put it in the book, Proof of Heaven, is you can do no wrong. And I wish I had explained that better at that part of the book, because uh, the truth is what I was knowing by this point, especially as this mission continued, was that love is the answer. And the more all of our actions have to do with unconditional love for our fellow beings, the more direct is our pathway of ascendance towards that oneness with the divine. But we are given the gift of free will. Uh, you know, that God force uh, that co-creates reality with us gives us the gift of free will, which allows us to do other things, to experiment, to maybe not be so loving, to maybe be more selfish and greedy. Yes, unfortunately, <laughs> we are given free will and we don't always use it for good. Free will is what put me on the floor of an IHOP bathroom after doing Molly and, and and I fell into a giant bonfire doc <laughs> so free will uh, of course that was also that wasn't just free will that was also a uh, beer will sometimes beer will will actually free will maybe drink the beer the beer will made me go into the <laughs> Molly bonfire. will exactly and we can do that but we end up finding that that's a much more arduous and difficult pathway forward that it's much simpler if we simply recover that love for self and others and live our lives mm -hmm. expressing that love mm -hmm. than if we try and fight that. And that's why you can do no wrong means given that you understand that basic principle of the binding force of love. Right Now, uh, it turns out that this was just a stepping stone, that beautiful gateway valley, all the festivities below that I've talked about were being fueled because up above were these 
swooping orbs of angelic choirs that were emanating chants, anthems, hymns that would just thunder through my awareness. Incredibly powerful, all majesty, uh, the incredible richness of this realm. And those musical uh, uh, choirs up above fueled yet another uh, portal or uh, wormhole or what have you, a passageway into higher and higher dimensions. And I remember seeing all of four-dimensional space-time, our world, this material world, all of that collapsing down. Then all of that spiritual realm that I had encountered in the Gateway Valley with a completely different temporal ordering, I must stress, they are not stuck in Earth time. Uh, You know, Earth time allows the drama to unfold for us, but it is not a fundamental driver of temporal relationships in the spiritual realm. There, it's deep time or meta time, which is a a temporal dimension that's different from our temporal dimension that allows for things like uh, a life review. You know, in your life review, people describe you see birth, death, you see everything in between. How is it you're seeing all of that simultaneously? You're seeing it because you're in a different temporal dimension that is much more general uh, than our temporal uh, flow. And what happened was the angelic choirs, the musical portals provided yet another pathway up. That's what had happened from the earth where my view, that beautiful musical uh, melody that came with the light portal. And it was by remembering the notes of the melody, the music, that I could actually govern and 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 have some modulatory effect on these transitions going to different levels. Wow. Wow. So, so you had to, so you, okay. Uh, was it Prince? Because I, what if it's a song I don't know? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Because there's certain music that could make this suddenly not heaven, but hell. <laughs> That's you know? true. Like I knew Prince for yeah. you or for me, that would be. That yeah. would Prince be, would be awesome. Yeah. Oh, pussy control. Because <laughs> our neighbors, our neighbor, I don't think that plays in heaven. Oh, um, good point. Yeah. Like our neighbor's music that they play at parties sometimes. We don't want that music. If I go to heaven and that's there. Tejano music that also is banned (laughs) from heaven. That's racist. I'm not being racist. I don't like the music. Got it. Anything with a a accordion and a xylophone. I'm out. (laughs) I'm out. That would also exclude polka. Yep. Sorry, go ahead. But in this uh, next passage going up from that gateway valley, I went up into what I call the core. And that was seeing all those temporal things collapsing down. The entire universe throughout all eternity was collapsed into this oversphere for teaching purposes. And in the core, I was told, not in words, but in pure conceptual flow, you're not here to stay. You'll be going back. It will teach you many things. Hold on, Doctor Alexander. Hold on. I just you're so. Uh-huh. By the way, here's the thing. You're you you're so smart, and you're 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 explaining this so well. I just want to be clear. So the temporal time here on Earth, the time here on Earth. I just got something. When you're talking. No time, no stress. If if there's no time, there's no stress. If I can see that, if I can see my entire timeline in front of me, I don't have to stress about anything. So we live in a totally different. Reality. So in this reality you're at in right now, you're talk you're talking about, there was absolutely the construct was everything was happening all at once, and yet you were still in the present moment. Right. Wow. Very much. And, and it's uh, I read that it's very common in a lot of reports of people's NDEs that they have said that there is no language, that it's a right. consciousness passing between two beings, but you're not physically speaking. So that's interesting. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of fascinating, but um, uh, getting back to, to all of this, that, that core realm, it turns out 
what would happen is I'd tumble back down spontaneously to that earthworm eye view. Wow. And it was by remembering the musical notes of the melody. Yeah. Get off 23 positions in a one night stand. That'd be a weird song for heaven too. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Prince isn't in heaven. <laughs> Prince is definitely in heaven. I mean, his music. Don't ever say that. I mean, his music. <laughs> I was able to conjure up that light portal that took me back up into the Gateway Valley with a beautiful guardian angel, her beautiful reassuring messages, witnessing all the beauty of that realm with all the earth-like features, but also rich spiritual features. And a lot of the lessons were taught there too. But then an ascendance back up uh, through those angelic choirs into the core realm. So let me ask you, is would it be a spoiler alert? Uh, guys, you have to go read this book, Proof yeah. of Heaven. He has three books. Uh, Map of Heaven is one we haven't mentioned. That's the one in the middle. Um, would it be a spoiler alert to talk about the girl who was your spiritual guide when you were in the coma? It, it really, the book. I, it's a spoiler that I'd rather not, okay. but I would just share just uh, to kind of give people a flavor for where you're going with all this is it uh, that one of the biggest features of my NDE and my kind of soul journey that needed to be corrected through that had to do with my adoption, that my birth mother was uh, 16 years old, unwed. Uh, my birth father, they couldn't find a way to get together. Um, and uh, so she put me up for adoption, but then she didn't want to let me go. So she wouldn't sign the papers for four months. So I was stuck in a baby dorm for four months. Wow. Yeah, Doc, I was also in a baby dorm, uh, but it wasn't because I, I it was because my dad was drinking and whoring. Sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dating. <laughs> you know, with no dedicated caregiver or anything. And uh, as much as I was adopted into a wonderful, loving family, and I couldn't be more blessed. I couldn't have been more fortunate with my uh, adoption, okay? Yeah, really. So I'm not looking for any sympathy from anybody. But the reality is uh, that infant me who was left behind by my mother meant that subliminally, subconsciously, through much of my life, I was thinking I don't deserve to exist. In fact, I, I went on a, a hunger strike when I was 11 days old. That was part of the problem, part of why social services took me over. Wow. And that was because I wasn't worthy of existence. And I struggled with that at a deep, deep level, not at a conscious level. Yeah. Right. And that was the problem. And that was a huge part of what got fixed and treated with my NDE and with a lot of what I learned there of the love and connection to the universe that was um, in incredibly powerful. Uh, so it turns out that that adoption story is a huge part of my story. Uh, you cannot deny it. I, I have an adopted family and a birth family. And of course, uh, to me, they're both extremely important. And now, uh, at any rate, getting back to your question, it turns out that uh, this beautiful guardian angel that I saw on the butterfly wing beside me, uh, you know, when I came back to this world, I'd never read the NDE literature before. I'd always thought it's hallucinations. Who cares? Right. But now I realize, oh, my God, there's a lot to this. And my older son was one. He was majoring in neuroscience at the time. Ibn the fourth. He was the one who told me, write it all down before you read anybody else's near death experience. So uh, I wrote down about 20,000 words over six weeks. Then I dove into the literature and was shocked at a lot of similarities yeah. that I found in reading these NDE accounts. But one thing that caught me was I realized that that beautiful guardian angel was supposed to be somebody very important to me in life. Yeah. And I knew her very deeply because of the mind meld that we had shared during my journey. And when she gave me that message of love and uh, cared for, and yet I didn't know who she was. 
That was almost for me a deal breaker. As much as I had plenty of proof in my own mind of the reality of the journey, the fact that my father wasn't there, my adoptive father who had passed over four years before my coma, if I had scripted all this, he would have been there as my guardian angel. Why was she there? Somebody I didn't even know. It really challenged everything. I mean, uh, to a point where I I was uh, not at all certain which way to go with it all. And then four months post-coma, my birth sister, Kathy, sent me a picture in the mail of uh, that birth sister who had died two years before I even found out about her existence. And I won't share any more, <laughs> but I can tell you Read the book. that kind of opens the scene to where this goes. And my God, it is a mind blower. Uh, it absolutely brought me to my knees when it all happened. And how fascinating. You're right. Because if you do read that phenomenon that happened that we're talking about, without saying, happens often to people that experience NDEs. And it makes me wonder, you know, because your father wasn't there, but this person was, it makes me wonder how that was chosen. Did she choose, ask for that assignment? Or, you know what I mean? I wonder how that happens. Or did pre-six-year-old him choose? It was a group decision. (laughs) We, we, we haven't really gotten into it yet, but there's a huge kind of bigger story to all this. And that has to do with our higher souls and our soul groups and what we do before incarnation to plan the hardships and the difficulties. Because in fact, I came away from my NDE realizing that the hardships and challenges in life in many ways are the gifts. They are what give us the growth, uh, the tough things. Uh, And it's how we face those. It's how we are able to maintain or develop a sense of love and connection and and ongoing purpose with the universe in the setting of these challenges. Uh, Like my meningitis was a challenge. Uh, Another example I give is uh, um, how I I struggle with alcohol. I, I, uh, stopped drinking alcohol very early in my career. I, I never had any trouble at work with drinking, but on my nights off, I leaned heavily on that scotch. And in 1991, uh, you know, I realized this isn't going to work. Uh, I got away from alcohol. It turned out alcohol was a huge problem with with my birth family too, wow. and that was uh, uh, part of the issue that, uh, as I mentioned in the book, uh, affected that uh, beautiful uh, birth sister. Uh, but the hardship was the gift. Uh, and that's the point yeah. I try to make is, wow. is I look at uh, the gift is not the fact that I recovered from alcoholism in 1991, but the fact that I was born alcoholic in the first place. Amen. That's what gave me the challenges that allowed me to grow much more fully and come to see love. So I would just invite people to see the hardships in their lives, the hurdles that yeah. exist. Look at them uh, as something that's there to help you grow that maybe your soul group and higher soul put in place there to help you come into a richer and deeper understanding of your life's purpose and of your connectedness and of your ability to love and care for others too. Because I think ultimately one of the biggest problems with our ego intoxicated society is we forget how valuable it is to help other people, people who are less fortunate than we are. Becoming a caregiver changed my life. When I look back on who I was before my mom had stage four pancreatic cancer very young um, in the general idea of youth. And she, it changed my life. It changed what I focused on, what I cared about. 
It gave me my humanity changed. I became a compassionate person. And then that's why I was able to be that person for my grandmother. And, and I became a person that wants to be in service. I didn't care about that before. I think too, his dad was a raging alcoholic. His mom was manic depressive, schizophrenic. She killed some people. And out she of that- She killed a person. She didn't kill some people. She attacked some people, killed one guy. Okay, and herself. <laughs> and because of that, he wrote his first comedy special and got his TV show with the intent to show other people with dysfunctional backgrounds. His message was, it empowers you. We're actually tougher. Uh, you just put it. You just put it clear. The hardship is the gift. I yeah. just. I, I will. I will take that phrase from today. That is. That is a Absolutely. great, great phrase, man. Great phrase. Well, uh, I feel like we have to have you on again down the road to pick up the second. There's so much more. There, is, there about. is a lot more. Let's do the third uh, book. So I, I'm gonna read. Let's 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 mention your new book. Let's mention your new book. I'm gonna I want to read the new book and and then okay. uh, and then I think we if you if you'd love to come back on uh, and and I, I cannot tell you to start this new podcast. We you know we do have this thing about service and we thought how do we get people through death? How do we help people uh, survive death? How do we help the people around people and then people themselves meeting it? How do we do that as comedians to make it less scary? that you were the first guest, I cannot tell you how much we both appreciate it. It, it really, you, you, she started dancing when you said yes. So when I lost my mom, it was my first real experience with that depth of loss. And uh -huh. as Tennessee Williams said, I was trying to find in motion what was lost in space. And I, I needed some tangibility to where she had gone because energy doesn't dissipate. I couldn't, I couldn't, understand it. And so I did some research online and found your book. And I took your book to North Carolina to the beach for uh, we were there for a week. And I sat on the beach and read proof of heaven and then map of heaven and felt some peace from that. You know, I was uh, I was adrift. And then when I finished, I felt I felt like it made more sense. And I felt beautiful better about where she was and so thank you for that yep well it's my pleasure and it's, it's important for our culture to develop a much more mature and informed uh kind of notion of what death involves yeah uh, because it is not the bleak and paltry fiction that materialist scientists would try and claim uh, there's far more to be uh kind of excited and enamored with about our existence especially about our ongoing connection with loved ones after uh, permanent bodily death. What I know is that there's absolutely nothing to fear, that it's actually an expansion of conscious awareness and a reunion uh, with loved ones from multiple lives. So it's it's a, a glorious thing to be celebrated. Worked with Raymond Moody a whole bunch. Yeah. We're, we're great friends. Uh, he's taught me a lot. He started this whole NDE thing back in 75. Uh, but he told me one of the absolutes, a few absolute statements he can make concerns suicide. And he said that if someone attempts suicide and they okay. fail and they have, but they have any element of an NDE, like the light or going through the tunnel or uh, reuniting with souls of departed loved ones or with higher soul, any part of that and come back to this world, they never attempt suicide again. Because that lesson of the NDE shows them the love of the universe that is there for them and that there's absolutely no reason for them to exit their physical life um, through suicide. I so read very that actually. Point. I read his statement and he also said that 
uh, people who survived attempted suicide and had an NDE, that their NDEs were no different than anyone right. else's NDE, that right. they experienced the same, you know, out of those 10 common characteristics, they had the right. same experience. What I think will stop me from suicide now is the hardship is the gift. If it's getting it bad, if it getting if it's getting bad, oh, this is the gift. Pay attention to this, and and never forget helping other people, people Absolutely. less fortunate than yourself, uh, gives one a great reason for living. Just as you explained uh, earlier, so uh, Rachel, I think that was a beautiful description of what you went through in caregiving, uh, because it really just demonstrates how uh, anytime we kind of put our heart. Uh, to helping others, yeah. it benefits us tremendously and brings a lot of this healing and wholeness from the universe at large to help us. One of the most important uh, aspects of my journey was to realize the deeper you go in the spiritual realm, the more it's simply about pure, unconditional love. Yeah. There's not a battle for good and evil. At, at, at the heart of the spiritual realm, it's all about that love. And that's where this world is transforming uh, and moving away from that bleak and paltry fiction of materialism and its false sense of separation to realize we're all in this together and we're here to help each other. I love it. Dr. Evan Alexander, thank you so you're, much. You're this was awesome. a gift you're for awesome. us. You, yeah. this, this, by the way, I really, you actually helped define what this entire show is going to be about. And if we leave people with that, anybody who ever talks bad about this guy says he did this. I'm like, really? The guy that talked about love, love and materialism and, peace. and then <laughs> peace and actually helping other people. That guy, that's the bad guy. Really? Thank you, dude. You rock. I, really I appreciate, appreciate it. you. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you all so much for having me on. And yeah, I'd love to talk again. And what I'd recommend is to spice it up. If we do talk again, let's get Karen involved. Got it. My partner, Karen Newell. She's been a beautiful spiritual mentor for the last 11 plus years. And she has a tremendous amount to teach. So if you want to uh, spice it up a bit, uh, let's get Karen on next time, too. We All love right. spicy. We're yeah. going to count on that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Bye, doctor. Bye, doc. All right, Chris. And uh, Rachel, so good talking with you. Bye-bye. Wow. Right? That was amazing. Insightful. Informative. Thorough. I don't feel like it was thorough. It, <laughs> he was thorough in each moment, but weren't you left feeling like, oh, there's so much more to talk about? For what he experienced, I, I, which was, what really got to me was, as, and, and I have a different insight. You've got to remember, I come at this whole thing a little bit skeptical about all of it. And I come at it like, well, okay. And then so, so to have the messenger of it be a hardcore scientist yeah, to yeah. me made a big difference. Yeah. Uh, and, and at one point he, he was very Dennis. He was very Dennis in a good way. Yeah. He, he's like he near death experience Dennis. Oh, by the way, uh, hey, let me go to the quantum physics of it. He, he just nailed it. And I was like, uh, and so I was, and that, that the whole thing, the hardship is the gift is like one of those, like if this, if this new podcast does that, gives people like stuff like that, then in the midst of the worst thing, you can say the hardship is the gift. I'm not saying it's going to make it better, but it may make it, tolerable maybe get through it i, like I also it. i had a couple of thoughts i and i'm not going to say who even though i know you would love to that if he's saying that you know souls grow that uh and they become better each you know round or whatever i thought oh there are people in the news right now in the political realm that must be, be on back. their first go around yeah exactly. this must be <laughs> the first time you assholes <laughs> Uh, the other thing I thought was, you know, yeah, Bobert's been here once. 
No, we're not saying any, <laughs> we're cutting that out. We are not saying anything political in this podcast. Uh, uh, I also thought you and I have really reached a higher spiritual realm together already because, for example, when you have a near-death experience, as he talked about, there's no language when you go there. It's communicated silently. And when we're fighting, we walk around the house doing that. Yeah, right. You know what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, mm. You know what I'm thinking. By the way, we, we don't have a near-death experience. Well, we have, but it's almost because you almost killed me a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> almost. <laughs> we, uh, 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 I, I really it's weird to have a man tell a story he's been telling for 10 years because sometimes what happens is you, you end up getting to this thing where you're like, uh, you've told the story to me so many times. Uh, he said garb, like they were garbs. But I want to say that I think that he, whatever happened to him, what he saw, where he went, who he knew. And like, he didn't finish the story because he wanted to read the book and you should read the book guys. It's really, the ending it, is, yeah, it's wow. stunning. Um, but it gives me, a feeling of peace about it. And the thing he said about suicide, man, if people could just get that, the one thing you have, because by the way, here's the thing, you think this life sucks? Guess what? You commit suicide, you got to come back and do it again. Yeah. <laughs> Until you die. <laughs> oh no. I like, I like, I like he scolded people <laughs> for suicide. Fascinating to dive in, go and read some of this stuff because the interesting thing is, they're consistent. Yeah. So many reports estimated up to 9 million reports of near death experiences, and they all share common characteristics. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our first ever Knock 'em Dead Are we podcast. Out now? We're, we're ending it now, huh? Yeah. Because I like the one thing about when, when, when I like the one thing about they're all, all the NDEs are about the same. They're all, they're, they're in, and again, no one's saying, you need to buy more Lamborghinis. You need to have more gold watches. It's like, it's like, it's a, even the thing that happened to me. I was, it was a enlightening. Oh, oh, got it. Um, so people don't be afraid of it. Don't be, I mean, uh, I mean, listen, stick around. The hardship is the gift. That's what we can take from uh, Dr. Alexander. And, uh, and I got it. I got I, I just, again, I still feel every time we and do, quit being an asshole. There you go. I That's feel it. like we could just leave it with that. Uh, thanks for listening <laughs> to episode one of Knock 'em Dead. Uh, we'll see you guys first Friday of every month. I'm Rachel Bradley. And I'm Christopher Titus. Live well. Thanks, guys. Bye.